John chapter 18. And I'm going to start reading at verse 28. I'm going to read down through chapter 19 and verse 18. So we'll link the passage, but um, about the crucifixion. John chapter 18, verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. You know, just stop here and just say something. They're doing something that, that... goes against their own law. It shows the, 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 the uh, wickedness of this whole thing. Anyway, <clears throat> verse 29. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take you him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not law for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests had delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one of the Passover, one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? They cry, then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man! When the priest, chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by her law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew... Gabbatha. 
And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. They cried, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he them, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away, and he bearing his cross, went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Tonight we'll just look at the distinctions and implications of the crucifixion of Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you for the death of our Savior. And we know that for this purpose he was manifested and brought into the world, that he might give himself a ransom for our sin. And I pray, Father, that we would truly be grateful and realize the implications of that truth. Uh, Lord, that we would we have a, we have bef- set before us a choice that we must make. We either going to receive him as our Lord and Savior, or he will be our judge, sentencing us to death. So, for, help us to understand these truths. We do pray in Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> you know, there were many, of course, that were cru- crucified by the Romans, and the Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected it as a form of torture and capital punishment. Um, And it was designed to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. You know, they would, they would, you know, of course, nail them to a cross and they put a little foot, a a little, little step like under their feet so that they could push up. And, you know, and, and if you remember, they broke the legs of the two that were crucified with Jesus, though they didn't break his legs, and we'll see that in a little bit. But they break their legs so they would die quicker because you can, you can prolong your death if you can push up with, with your feet and get a breath of air. But see, hanging there, that you couldn't breathe, so they'd push up to get a breath. And that, so, the, so it was a slow, agonizing death. And one, it was a method of torture that, that the Romans used to, to warn. You know, as a as a uh, scare tactic to strike fear in anyone who would think possibly of insurrection. It was, of course, a disgraceful uh, method of execution, very cruel. Uh, Many consider, of course, the crucifixion of Christ one of the greatest crimes of all time. And I think you understand as we consider this tonight. Uh, Few consider the distinctions and implications of the crucifixion you know, to the world, it's just kind of an amazing story. But to us, it is a truth that and the, the resurrection are the truth in which hangs the redemption for all mankind. Without his death, without his sacrifice for our sin, we're lost and in sin. So I want to look at several of the distinctions, what makes Christ's crucifixion de- different than any others, than any other crucifixion of all time. And the first one is, he never committed a sin. He never committed a crime. If you notice in verse 29, chapter 18, and verse 29 and 30, it says, Then Pilate Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Now, 
you have common sense, did they answer his question? No, they did not answer his question. He asked, what accusation do you have against this man? There was no accusation. They just said he's a male factor. In other words, he, he has committed something worthy of, 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 of being uh, sentenced uh, to, in some measure. You know, he's committed some crime in their mind, but they won't say what it is. There's no, ac- there's no accusation. It's just that they say he's worthy to be sentenced. Um, and, and, of course, the reason we understand is there wasn't one. Uh, if you notice, three times in this passage, Pilate says, I find no fault in him. In verse 38, Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find no fault in him, no fault at all. And then chapter 19, verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again. And of course he had him scourged. You know, so often this was something the Romans do. They would scourge a person, and that was a kind of a torture to get them to confess their crime. That was you know, the way that they did things. And and uh and so, so they, he had him scourged, and of course the, they had put a crown of thorns on his head and so on and so forth and smote him and all these kind of things. And yet, Pilate, verse 4, therefore went forth again and saith unto behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. And then again in verse 6, when the chief priests therefore and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, take ye him and crucify him for I find no fault in him. In Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, in verses 55 through 59, Mark 14, 55 says, And the chief priests and all the council sought for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, and found none. So here are the, even the chief priests. For many bear false witness against him, but their witnesses agreed not together. You know, one of the things you have to have in a court of law is you have to have agreeing witnesses. But they, they don't agree. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and with three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. So even their own witnesses that they tried to bring against him did not agree together. Uh, he did, however, he did say, destroy this temple in three days, I will resurrect it. Now, he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. I'll resurrect this body in three days. That's what he was referring to. Of course, they didn't understand that. They didn't know that they believed that. Uh, in Matthew 27, verse 4, even Judas, Judas, after he, the, he, he, he began to watch the, the, the trial, and, and Judas comes back and, and goes back to the, to the Pharisees, and he says, and threw down the money and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. In John eight forty six, Jesus said to the Pharisees, which of you convinceth me of sin? You know, that's a pretty bold statement. But it was the truth. 1 Peter 2, 22 says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 
First John 3, 5 says, And you know that he was manifest to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. You know, the Second Chronicles 19, 7 says, Jehoshaphat said to the children of Israel, For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. In other words, he, he will not take bribes. He doesn't have any respect of persons. Truth is truth. And there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. And this is a God-man we're talking about. So, so, you know, the difference between this crucifixion and any other. Now, now you, you might make a case that, and there probably were, some people crucified who didn't deserve to be crucified. You know, when there's political rivals and things like that, you know, we, we know things like that happen in, 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 the, in the world. But there was never a man put to death that didn't have a sin. Didn't have a sin. You know, even the best of men. You remember when, uh, I remember when, uh, you know, they were going after, uh, when, when President Trump was uh, in office, and they were going after all the people that worked in his campaign. And, and you know, they were trying to find dirt and trying to, trying to sentence and put, and, you know, they were, they were trying to bring down Trump. And so uh, I saw an interview with Chris Christie one day, and he was a, a federal prosecutor at one time. And he said, he said, you know, Paul Manafort and some of these other guys, and I can't remember all their names, you know, these were guys that had business dealings around the world. And he said, they are going to find something on, on these guys, something. But really, it's, it's really, a, it'll, it'll be of no significance. Because when you're in business like these men are, there's always something that you can get caught with somewhere. It may be something you did that you weren't even sure about. After all, you know, if you try to decipher the IRS code, you know, you can get two or three interpretations from the IRS itself, you know. So, you know, but there's no point is, you know, men are guilty of sin, the best of men, but this man never even sinned. Secondly, what makes his crucifixion distinct is it wasn't, he wasn't, his life wasn't taken, it was given. It wasn't taken, it was given. Look at chapter 18 and verse 36. Well, verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation, a chief priest, had delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from thence. And then chapter 19, verse 11. 10 and 11. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? I mean, you're not gonna, you, you think you can get away with not answering me? That's, this, is what he's, this is the idea here. It's just like, like you, have you ever said to your child, Answer me! This is what Pilate's saying, Jesus, answer me, because I'm the governor, you know. And, and so, no, he, and he says, knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. You see, his life wasn't taken. It was given. 
You know, Matthew tells us that, you know, when Peter took out a sword and cut off one of the servants of the high priest's ears, one of the things Jesus said in that context was, don't you realize I could call 10 legions of angels, 10,000 legions of angels to deliver me if I wanted to? Now, this is revised version, but it's not exactly how it goes in the Bible, but that's what he was saying. If I wanted to, I could call 10,000 legions of angels and deliver me if I wanted to. However, you know, Matthew 20, verses 7 through 19, he tells the disciples that he is going to be crucified. And three days later, he's going to be resurrected. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. John 10, 17 and 18. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Therefore, you know, he was not forced by the Father to give his life. He gave it willingly. He said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This is the commandment my Father has given me. That I have the power to lay it down, and I also have the power to take it again. You know, one of the things that's, that um, is, I find interesting, it, it almost causes me to um, chuckle a little bit, although none of this is funny, but um, in uh, John chapter 18, In verse 4, of course, verse 2 tells us Judas, you know, having received men, came. Verse 3 tells us that. Jesus, therefore, verse 4, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them. So he, he, knew, he knew what was going to happen. They answered him. He said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. And as soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus now. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which was spoke of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. You know, it's interesting. You know, his, his power is on display here for just, just a brief moment. He said, I am. By the way, the word he is added. It's in italics. And what he's saying is, I am the I am. And when he said that, they all fell to the ground. They all prostrated themselves. Because they're, they're in the presence of God. God smote them. What I'm saying is, his life wasn't taken. He was given. He was given. He could have walked away. I mean, he did before. How many times did it before did he walk away? In Luke chapter 4, you know, he goes into the synagogue and opens the, the Old Testament to Isaiah 61 and says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And then he said, and then he went on and preached to them and, and told them basically that he was a fulfillment of this, and they became enraged. 
And they, it says they led him headlong toward the brow of the hill to throw him down. And he walked through the midst of them and so passed by. He just walked, turned around and walked through the midst of them. It's like all of a sudden they became blind. In John chapter 8, again, they pick up stones to stone him. And he just, he just walks away. John chapter 10, again, they, you know, so, so you know, he could have. He, he walked away on various occasions because his time was not yet come. But now is the time. Now is, now is the time for him to be crucified. And, of course, he said in Matthew 20, Verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to be ministered and give his life a ransom for sin. To give his life. His life was not taken, it was given. In fact, what does it say in uh, verse 30, chapter 19, verse 30? says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, notice verses 31 through 33. The Jews therefore, because it was preparation, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So, so the Jews wanted their legs broken so they'd die quickly, so they wouldn't remain on a cross over the Sabbath day. And so they come to break their legs. Notice, then came the soldiers, verse 32, break the legs of the first, and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. You see, he gave up the ghost. In other words, he gave up his life because he had completed that which the Father commanded of him. So he gave it up. So his life was not taken, it was given. Notice the third thing. This crucifixion, this taking or this, this giving of his life and all the things surrounding this are fulfillment of scripture. Now, not just a scripture, scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. There's many prophecies in the Old Testament. And one of the things that, you know, if you, if you read Matthew's account, one of the things that Matthew says over and over again is that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, something to that effect. And John here does that some too. And, and actually in uh, verse 28 of chapter 19, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be filled, fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So, so his crucifixion. Now here's an interesting thing. When these prophecies were written, Rome was not yet in power. And crucifixion was not a means of execution. Yet these, for the fulfillment of these prophecies, would require a crucifixion. See, the Jews, the Jews never crucified people. 
Their, man, their manner of putting somebody to death or executing somebody was stoning. Not crucifixion. And here you have all these scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, some of them clear back in the Psalms, the times of David, describing for us in great detail the crucifixion. Even though the crucifixion, even though people weren't yet being crucified, that method of, of execution had not yet been, and, and was not practiced by the Jews. Um, I'm going to just look at a, a few, a few, because we could be here all night if we want to look at all of them, but uh, first of all, he was hated without a cause. And Psalm 69, verse 4 says, They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies, wrongfully are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. They hated me without a cause. In John 15, and verse 25, Jesus said, But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. He was betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41.9 says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And of course in Matthew chapter 26, many, many of these are in Matthew. Matthew 26, verses 48 and through 50, uh, it says, Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, you know that must have cut to Judas' heart. Jesus said, Friend. Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. My own familiar friend, the one who traveled with him for three and a half years, one of the disciples, betrayed him. The price of betrayal, 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah eleven twelve. And I said unto them, I think ye good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 27 and verse 3 says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Uh, he would not defend himself. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Matthew twenty-seven, twelve through 14 And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witnessed against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. He would be beaten and spit upon. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Matthew 27, verses 26 through 30, Then, then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Uh, then, yeah. then the soldiers and the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. And he read in his right hand, they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and they took a reed and smote him on the head. Uh, he was numbered with the transgressors, or that means he was, he was crucified with criminals. Isaiah fifty three twelve says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he should divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul in the death, he was numbered 
with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. In Matthew 27, again in verse 38, he says, Then were the two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, the other on the left. So he was numbered with the transgressors. His hands and feet pierced. Psalm 22:16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierce my hands and my feet. And of course, we read there in John chapter 19 that they, they pierced his, his side, and of course they, they uh, uh, pierced his hands and his feet. Uh, Zechariah also says, I think it's in chapter 12, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Uh, his bones will not be broken. Now, this is in fulfillment of the type also of the Passover lamb. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. In one house shalt be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh brought out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. That Passover lamb wasn't to have a bone broken. She put to death, but not a bone broken. In Psalm 34, 20 says, He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. And of course, we just read in John chapter 19 that soldiers came and break the legs of the first, and the other was crucified with him. They came to Jesus, saw he's dead already. They break not his legs. So there was not a bone in him broken. They divided his garments and cast lots. You know, can you imagine? You know, a lot of this stuff is 700 years before it actually happened. Psalm 22. They part my garments among them, cast lots upon my vesture. So, um, um, Matthew 27, 35 says, And they crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots, and it might be filled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. You know, this, his outer garment was without seam. It was a very valuable garment. And, and so rather than divide it by tearing it up, they cast lots to see who would get the whole thing. Because they didn't want to divide it, because it was, it was a valuable garment. And again, a fulfillment of Scripture. Um, he would be given water and gall to drink. Psalm sixty nine twenty one. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Uh, Matthew twenty seven thirty four. They gave me vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Of course, that was a dead in the pain. Uh, he would cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm twenty one or twenty two one starts out first verse. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in Matthew twenty seven verse forty six he says, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he would be buried with the rich. Isaiah 53.9 says, He made his grave with the wicked. In other words, he was, he, was, he was condemned with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. In Matthew 27.57, we see, When evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. You know, this one is a, this, only rich people had stone tombs. You know, you ever walk out in the cemetery and, you know, most, most people have headstones, you know, they're small, they're little. You know, every once in a while you see this huge, humongous one. 
And I always think to myself, somebody had some money, you know, to put on a display like that. That's kind of, kind of the idea here. He was, he was buried with the rich, though he wasn't rich. And, and again, there are many others. But the point is, you know, this proves that he is the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation for our sin. He died. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says this, that Christ died according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It was all prophesied exactly how it would happen. And it did. And then I'll notice the first, the fourth thing. It was a substitutionary death. In other words, he died in the place of another. In John chapter 18, go back there again, John 18 and verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest, I am a king. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. You see, he came to bear witness of the truth. You know, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, the, the truth is, the law says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You know, all of us, all of us are headed for death. We all had the sentence of death on ourselves because the soul that sinneth, now that's one sin. That could be one sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's what the law says. But he had no sin. He didn't die for the sin, his own sins. You know, again, Matthew 20, 28 says, He gave his life a ransom for many. Paul would write Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 15, he'd say, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. In chapter 2, verse 6, he said, Who gave himself a ransom for all. Isaiah 53 says, He was bruised for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. So this, we're talking about God here, the person of God in, the, in, the, in a man, Jesus Christ, when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So his death was substitutionary. In other words, he didn't die for his own sin. He had none. He died for the sins of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, this is kind of an amazing account. That 
And, and of course, in, in this story hangs the payment or the ransom for sin of all mankind. And here's the implication of it. You know, an implication is something suggested as naturally inferred or understood. So we can naturally understand or take from this that he didn't die for himself, he died for us. That by fulfilling the word of God, he is therefore the acceptable sacrifice for our sin. The only. The only acceptable sacrifice for our sin. There is no other. In fact, go to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 and 11. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, 10 11. Isaiah 53:10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So we're talking about the Father bruising the Son. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So, God the Father saw the travail of his soul, the suffering for the sin of the world, and was satisfied. It says here, shall be satisfied, yet future. This is, this is prophesied probably 700 years before it happened. So, and that's what propitiation means. He is the propitiation. So God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ for our sin. It made the atonement. It brought us into one with Christ. And so he's satisfied. And he says, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant. And that again is a reference to Christ. He is the righteous one. And so... You know, we, we, can, we, can, we can understand from this that he is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. There is no other way. There is no other way. You know, I realize there's many religions of the world. And many people have this idea that there's many ways to God. But that's just not true. There's only one acceptable sacrifice for sin. That's not your good works. That's not your way. It's Jesus Christ and his work and his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the grave. And, and so, and of course, he was the sinless one. He was without sin, so he was righteous. He was a perfect sacrifice. You know, God required, you know, when, when they brought that, they picked a lamb out of the flock, it had to be one without blemish. If there was any blemishes in it, it was, it was to be rejected. And he was without blemish, because in him is no sin. And so it, 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 it brings us to this point then that we must either choose to receive him as Lord and Savior, the only hope of salvation... And not to receive him is to, by default, set him as the judge who will sentence us to eternal damnation. That's the choice we have. 
because of our transgressions, because of our sin. Again, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God so loved the world, and God so loved every man, boy, boy, a girl, woman, boy, or girl that was ever born. He so loved them that he sent his son. He made his son an offering for sin for them. So he doesn't want any of the parish but have our lasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. He, wasn't, he doesn't want to condemn the world. He doesn't want to condemn anybody to hell. But that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth him is not condemned. But he that believeth not, you don't refuse to receive Christ as your only hope of salvation. He says, you believe not, is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. You know, the Pharisees asked Jesus on several occasions, Are thou the Christ? If so, tell us plainly. I mean, at, at his trial, they asked him again, Art that the Christ? You say that I am. Oh, well, you've heard his blasphemy. You know, he said to them on other occasions, If you don't believe my words, believe the works that I do. I mean, he, he made the lame to walk, he made the blind to see, he made the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, uh, he healed the, you know, the sick. Uh, he, he, he cleansed the lepers. He even forgave sin. And then you say, this is not the Son of God. You know, at one point, they sent officers to arrest him. And they came to arrest him, and he confounded them. And they went back to the Pharisees, and they said, why haven't you brought him? They said, there's never a man spake like this man. You, you would think they'd just start saying, you know what, maybe we ought to change our thinking a little bit about this guy. I mean, even one of the Roman soldiers, after he saw what happened at the crucifixion, said, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, that's the conclusion. When we're faced with the facts about Christ, The implication is, we have to make a choice. There was a guy by the name of, I think it was Lee Struble. I think it was in, trying to remember the year. I just read it the other day. I think it was 2019 or something like that. He was an investigative journalist. He was an atheist. He wasn't always an atheist. He became an atheist. You know, his, he grew up going to church. You know, I don't know what kind. But anyway, he grew up going to church, but... And his parents went to church, but they never talked about God at home. And, and so when he became a teenager and, you know, an uh, um, adult, he, he kind of, you know, got rid of all this God stuff and became an atheist. And then his wife got saved. And so he thought, I'm going to do an investigation into this resurrection, Christ resurrection stuff, so I can refute it, so I can convince my wife that she's believing in something that's false. So an investigation he launched. And he came to the conclusion he could not deny the facts. And he got saved himself. Why? Because it couldn't be denied. 
you know, there are many witnesses to what was done. And this is the implication of this. You know, in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, Paul told those at Athens, although they were skeptics and did not want to believe him, he said this, the times this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. He said the resurrection cannot be refuted. Therefore, God's commanding all men to repent. And because there's coming a day, if you refuse to receive him as your Lord and Savior, he's going to judge you. He's going to sentence you to death. See, we can either receive his work, God judging him as our payment for sin, or he is going to judge us for our sin. And that'll be spending an eternity in hell. That's the choice we have. So God's commanded. You know, Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says he's going to bring uh, judgment upon those that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter commanded them in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you. You know, Joshua told the children of Israel, choose you this day whom you may serve. Choose. You have to choose. See, the implications then of the crucifixion of Christ is we have a choice. We either going to receive him as our Lord and Savior as our substitute for, the, for our sin or he is going to be our judge. That's the choice we have. You know, Christianity, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ, is not a, a, a uh, how do I want to say, a um, easily, it's not able to be refuted. It's logical. There are facts that testify that this is the truth. Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth, and this is the truth, and we must receive it. Choose Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Let's pray.